podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another bonus episode of the 1871 podcast. And our special guest is former Royals defender, Keith Curl. So hello, Keith, and welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. And thanks very much for the invite. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Great, great to have you on. Um, and before we speak to Keith, just a heads up for you that our special guest tomorrow is former Royals striker Lloyd Awusu. So that's available from 6.30 tomorrow. And let's have a recap now on, on how things stand for the Royals after Monday's dramatic four-all draw against Swansea. So three games left for Reading, away to Hull on Saturday, the last home game of the season against West Brom the following Saturday, and then, of course, the final game of the season at Luton on Saturday, May the 7th. And, of course, we'll be will be uh, safe and home and hosed by then, of course. Um, so Reading probably already have enough points to be safe, 41 points. And it's only now Peterborough and Barnsley who have any chance of, of catching Reading. So uh, just to recap, Reading are on 41 points. Peterborough are on 34 points with three games left. So they could, in theory, get to 43 points. And Barnsley are on 30 points with four games left. So they could, in theory, get to 42 points. Um, but a win at Hull on Saturday means Reading are definitely safe. And Barnsley might be out of contention by then anyway, because they're playing Huddersfield on Friday. And if they fail to win at Huddersfield, then they're relegated. But Johnny, look, none of that really matters because Reading are going to be in the championship next season. So what would you like to see from Reading between now and the end of the season? Go oh, unbeaten. End the season on a positive note. And I think, you know, hopefully maybe get a couple of the younger players in, like Aziz, maybe give them a, a more of a game. Obviously, you know, McIntyre and Holmes are playing, but maybe, you know, there's a chance there for to, to give some of the youngsters a chance to show what they can do. You know, there's some of the young academy players. If we're safe after, say, the whole game, take last two games, last home game, put the players out there, give them an opportunity to show what they can do. Give them, I think, give the fans some sort of uh, hope for next season that there's there's some players out there, you know, while we're under all these other regulations and everything else that we can build aside. Yeah, and and I think, you know, what happened over the, the bank holiday weekend, the Easter weekend, that, those two games, two mm-hmm. amazing games for, for different reasons, but both involving Tom McIntyre, of course, just showed that, you know, under Paul Ince, Reading have got some character, they've got some fight. Okay, it's not great to be 4-1 down, but the way that they come back and then, you know, going back to the game on uh, Easter Friday, Good Friday as, as well, just that that's what we wanted to see and that's kind of what was missing before. But um, I think if Paul Ince has, you know, we, we've said he's got one task to keep Reading up. Looks like he's achieved that, but also... Um, we're seeing some fight and some character from the players, which, which are great. But look, that's all well and good. But we've we've got our special guest waiting patiently, Keith Curl. Uh, and Keith, uh, fantastic to have you on as a guest. And you joined Reading from Bristol City. I think it was um, not at the start of the season in 87, 88. It was about October, something like that. And you went on to make more than 50 appearances. How did that move from Bristol City to Reading come about? Can you remember? I think uh, Reading was selling Steve Wood to to Millwall and the, they needed a replacement uh, to play alongside Martin Hicks, who was uh, excellent in the air. Um, 
not only for his size and his stature, but also his, his technique, head in the ball. He's a very competitive player, but they needed somebody that had uh, legs uh, and give him the confidence to go and head the ball, knowing that his deficiency would be covered up by myself. I'd just been through, uh, I just had an injury at Bristol City, and uh, I think Bristol City saw it as an opportunity to cash in because I wasn't back match fit. Uh, and then Reading came in and offered money, uh, and they, they they took it back back in the day. Then when when money was money, uh, Bristol City saw it as a good investment. I think they bought me for they bought me for ten thousand pounds from Torquay United, uh, and uh, not so much cashed in, but they they made a healthy profit in a short run after a four year period. And um, that that was a bit of a kind of a weird season that first season for you because. Um, Reading got relegated, so in league terms, it wasn't great. But we won a trophy, you know, myself and Johnny certainly remember the Simog Cup final. Um, and you talked about coming in and complimenting Martin Hicks and replacing Steve Wood. I just remember you, I think you were probably the, the quickest centre-back that Reading have, have ever had. And, um, you know, and it was it was a really good partnership, but... Uh, what what was that like that season? Firstly, you know, being part of a a team that ultimately got relegated, but having the high of of the Simog Cup final at end of the season with a trophy. What what was that like that season? I think it was um, a strange season because uh, on paper we could beat anybody on our day. Uh, we, we, again, which proved in the uh, I think we beat Luton in the final, didn't we? But uh, but uh, but they went up to the they went up to the final and everything. Out. We you know, played some decent teams, but it, it was just a case of. And, um, to be honest, we had some good players, but the, the 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 mix wasn't there. We got rid of some players and got rid of goals at uh, some goals out of the team and players that that came in. And I think there was um, there was a little bit of. Um, not so much nervousness, but about the, about the manager potentially being sought after by by other football clubs as well. So that that, that didn't create a, uh, not so much harmony, but I didn't create that stability that you wanted within a football club, even especially when you're you're in a relegation fight and a relegation zone. And it, it's one of those things that did creep up on everybody because you know you look around the changing room, you look around the training ground at the time, and you know when you say like you're too good to go down. Well, th- there was an honest belief that uh, that we would get out of it, but we didn't. Yeah. And, and I just wonder when, when uh, you know, in the training sessions, obviously you have Michael Jilks there at that time. Was it always Michael Jilks came first and you came second? Not a chance. <laughs> Everybody's got this misconception that Michael Jilks was quicker than me. But then, uh, and it's probably because Michael playing on the wing, yeah. you're quicker when you're running up and down the wing than you do running from the middle out. But um, no, Michael was quick. Um, but I think we had about two races. Uh, I won uh, one by a yard and one, well, one, I call it a draw, but he said go and started early. <laughs> so, so it was actually you, you were, you were, you were quicker than Michael Jokes, which is saying something then. So look, Dylan, do you want to um, come in? I mean, obviously Keith was, was at Reading a few years before your time at, at Reading, but what, what are you, uh, what do you want to talk to Keith about? Look, I mean, you know, from from a Reading perspective, you know, I, I know the history of of when he was there. You know, that Simod Cup, you know, I remember it well, even though nobody was, <laughs> be, be honest, interested up north about the Simod Cup when it was Reading versus Luton. But I remember that. And obviously, you know, him saying being quicker than Jilsey. I was quicker than Jilsey in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, I mean, you know, from 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 like I said, from going from club to club, to, club to Bristol, and then to Reading, you know, that that did that start start your career as as and push you on to go to the bigger career that you you ended up having, you know, obviously with Manchester City. Yeah, I think it did. Locally, I was you know, uh, Bristol born and bred. Uh, started off me well, as a schoolboy at Bristol City. They released me at 16, saying in their opinion, uh, they didn't think that I was going to have a professional career. Um, went to Bristol Rovers. They gave me uh, an opportunity in a, tri- uh, in a trial game. I played centre forward and scored seven goals. Um, then had an injury, I had a cartilage injury. And back in the day, then it wasn't an arthroscope. Yeah. It was you know, uh, knife and fork in, in me, uh, and, and that put me out for a period of time. Couldn't get back in the team. Ian Holloway took me place uh, in, in the team, so I had to go on loan. So I went on loan down to Torquay. And then the manager that I'd had previously at Bristol Rovers had then gone to Bristol City, Terry Cooper, uh, and he splashed out. Now, I went to Torquay for 5000 Terry Cooper splashed out uh, and bought me for 10000 as a as a right winger. Um, but it was uh, Terry Cooper's assistant manager, Clive Middlemass, um, who said right from day uh, right from day one, he said, "I'm going to turn you uh, into a defender." And I was at uh, not a chance, not a chance. And I, uh, I sit down in the office with Terry Cooper. I went there and played as a winger, played as a, a left winger or a right winger. Uh, and then pre-season came, and he said, Look, "I've got ideas about playing you at the back." Um, and only because I've seen you training and every time you train, you're always training at the back. And I said, yeah, but I do that so I don't get kicked. Because you know, back in the day, if you were quick, even in training, older players, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't want to get embarrassed and they would they would absolutely give you a tackle. So, so in training, I used to play at the back, but I quite enjoyed it, but never took it seriously. And then the first game of the season, uh, the, the centre-back, uh, Bruce Halliday, uh, he was from up north, uh, he, he was susp- suspended from the season before. And so he said, well, well, I'm playing your centre-back. So I played, played, uh, played my first game, I think it was away at Brentford or, uh, as a centre-back. And then after that game, I think we got beat. I think we got beat. Uh, he, said, I'm, uh, he said, if you focus and you listen... Uh, uh, you'll play for England uh, as a defender. Oh, and, I, and even then, I was that not a chance, absolutely not a chance. And then I, uh, I started the season as a centre back at uh, Bristol City. Uh, I had four, uh, three seasons playing as a centre back there. Really enjoyed it. Uh, but even then, I'd gone from uh, a winger that was a, non, a very non-confrontational winger, as in I didn't like a tackle. Because normally you're receiving the ball side on and full backs beaming in at you, and you know you know what's coming. Um, Then to to become then and become now, yeah, and then become you become a centre back and you get a reputation as you don't mind the confrontation. Uh, But that that was mainly because when you're playing against some good players, you have to try and upset them. So your role model would have been a striker, you know, when you were growing up. If you were, if you were a striker, you know, like obviously you're, you're looking at positional sensors. Your role model, what's, what, what was your role model when you was growing up, when you was watching football? But, 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 so, uh, when I came through the ranks as an apprentice, uh, as a winger. And can you remember the lad, uh, his name's something right now, QPR. Uh, I just always had his uh, socks rolled down. Thompson. Down balls. Yeah, no, 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 no that, but, but that era, um, yeah, the uh, who was he? Uh, the right winger, Thompson. I'm sure, sure it was Thompson. 
uh, I'll look back. <laughs> I'll look back and, uh, and have a look. Always had, always had a socks yeah. roll. Always had socks roll down. Bandy legged, bow uh, legged as it was. Uh, great dribble of the ball. Great crossword. Uh, great crossword of the ball. Um, so again, when I looked at football, uh, when I was growing up, always looked yeah. at uh, with, with an attacking eye, uh, and then suddenly then to become. A defender, and again, I've got to say, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of credit to Clive Middlemass, who was the assistant manager uh, to Terry Cooper at the time. He was the assistant manager uh, at Bristol Rovers and uh, and at Bristol City, and he spent hours with me uh, in the car park before training, after training, before games, giving me the the armory and the uh, the information that I needed for who I was playing against. My left foot, uh, basically, when I, when I was growing up, when I did my apprenticeship, my first couple of years as a professional, my left foot was purely for standing on. But then he used to have me out in the car park, uh, striking balls uh, into the turnstiles, and uh, he spent hours mainly fetching the ball where, where, where I'd miskicked it. But again, and then, so having that level of attention from uh, from the assistant manager to go on and yeah. I, rep- I represented England and played left back and I spent the majority of my career playing left side centre back well and what's your best what was the best advice you had as a youngster and obviously you know when, when obviously the career that you went on to what was the best advice from the managers that you actually played under who, who would you who would you say would would make that one call up and, and give you and, and it stuck there that you've related in your managerial career? Probably, uh, I've, I've been very lucky. I've had some very good managers. But, but probably the one bit of advice that, that, that stuck out for, was when I first signed for, for Man City from Wimbledon was, was, was from Peter Reid, when at the time it was a, uh, I think it was a, an English record for a, for a, a defender when they, when they paid two and a half million pounds for me. And the first thing that Peter Reid said to me was, don't try and play like an expensive player. Yeah, I bought you from Wimbledon and I want you to keep the same mentality on the field as what you had at Wimbledon. So don't try and impress, don't try and do things that don't come naturally to you. Play the way that you've been playing. Well, well. And Keith, um, Dylan's asked you about managers who have had an influence on you. And obviously uh, um, when you went to Reading, it was Ian Bramford and record-breaking Royals and, and all that. What, what was Ian Bramford like as a manager? Um... Uh, man, man management very good, and I, and I think probably I had a very short spell at, uh, at Reading. Um, probably I went there and signed a five-year contract, and then uh, Bobby Gould, who was then who'd gone from Bristol Rovers then up to up to Wimbledon, uh, he came in and made a bid. So I think Reading paid something like 100, 150, 175 grand for me, but then uh, and then Wimbledon offered five hundred grand, and I think uh, my, my relationship with uh, with Ian changed on the day that I had a meeting with the chairman and the uh, and Ian, where Ian told me that uh, Wimbledon had made a bid of half a million quid, but he didn't want me to go. And then 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 we had a meeting with the chairman, and the chairman categorically stated that nobody had made a bid for me. But, but then then Ian, I'd say, oh, but I have just told Keith about Wimbledon. <laughs> so, so, th- so then it was a case of like, well, you're not quite, you're not quite working together here. Yeah. Uh, and Johnny, do you, do you want to come in now? Yeah, I, this is slightly an aside from sort of Reading times, but I just because he was a good manager, but very uh, got a hard time with the press when you were at England under Graham Taylor. What was yeah. that like? 
as, as a player, because obviously, you know, the press absolutely hounded him and he was a good club manager. Excellent club manager, excellent man manager. Uh, I, I was lucky enough, I went away with England, went to Australia. Uh, we had a tour, a three-week tour in Australia, New Zealand and Malaysia. And so you can imagine it was my first trip away with England, the first time I've been selected to, to go. And then my first trip, so we flew 23 and a half hours, stopped over for a couple of hours in Dubai, uh, then landed and then we had to, to get everybody back uh, to get the jet rag, we, um, get rid of the jet rag. We went training straight away. So you can imagine, I was, I was 26, 26, 27 at the time, never thought I'd get an opportunity uh, to play for England uh, ever. And then my first trip away, first training session, I broke my jaw. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't break it, David Batty broke it for me. Oh, jeez. Uh, and and it, was, it was so simple, in a five-a-side game, uh, <laughs> and uh, he was on my team. And, and you're thinking, wow. And then, so then uh, I spoke to Graham afterwards, uh, or two or three days afterwards, and he said, "Look, um, I'll leave it up to you, uh, but you can go home if you want to." Uh, and then through gritted teeth, because I had my me jaw wired up, I said, "Look, uh, I've waited so long and worked so hard to get here. There's no way I'm going going back. I'll stay here with a broken jaw." And I think because yeah. of that, um, yeah, I went on to get uh, three England caps, play for England, uh, play for England B. Uh, but I think he uh, he appreciated the. The determination that I had uh, to improve and be around players that you don't, I'd only ever looked up to before or seen on the TV representing their country. And I'm thinking, like, as an opportunity, I'm not turning away just to be around these players and be in and around the, the atmosphere. But is my management skills excellent? And then later on, you're under Neil Warnock as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Neil tried signing me a few times, uh, to be like, uh, to be honest. Um, when he was at Barry, then Sheffield United, I turned, not, not as much turning down. I had other, other options. Tried to get me away from Wolves, but, um, but I'd signed a contract at Wolves. But then there was uh, again, there was something about Neil. I think it must be twenty odd years ago. He, he was telling me then that he, he was going to retire then. <laughs> but, but he still never. But, but he went. With, he said, and then I, I think I signed for Neil when I was thirty-seven as a player, uh, and he said that. Um, I want you to become. I want you to come as a player coach, but your priority is playing. I want you to play, but I want you to coach. And so I, I was at the stage. Oh, excuse me, sorry. Like, it's probably probably Neil now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was at the stage where I, I had a very keen interest on coaching uh, and management and developing management skills. So I wanted to learn. So I trained. Uh, I trained twice a week, um, but but then played. Uh, uh, Played a lot. Of, played a lot of games for Neil as well. But that's where I probably developed my coaching and the understanding of the coaching through Neil Warnock and Kevin Blackwell. Uh, and every experience, bro, they need that foot in the door. And I was lucky then, so I went on to, uh, to become Neil's assistant manager at QPR and Crystal Palace. Um, we got to the playoffs with Crystal Palace in the first year, um, and then we got we got promoted as champions uh, with QPR. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, do you um, do you want to come back in? Because obviously you had you got a similar story to Keith in that you started off as a, a goal scoring midfielder and then you, you went to um, you know you you ended up as a left back. Presumably you can you can relate to what he's saying. Yeah, and I, it's interesting because there's two two similar things. One, you know, that when I was a, I was a attacking midfielder, a box to box midfielder at Sheffield Wednesday, but within a year, Howard Wilkinson said to me that. Not a prayer am I ever a midfielder for him, but because of my ability to run long distance and 
because of my left foot. He said I'd be the better left back. So I had that opportunity and I worked my balls off for like six six weeks to because it was it was either get a contract or you know be one of the ones that were released and luckily I had Mel Sterling, Nigel Worthington, Mike Lyons, uh, and and people like Mark, Mark Smith, Gary Megson uh, to to help me along with that and 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I, that's when I became a left back. But also my first training at Leeds United, Dave Batty nearly broke my knee in half. You know, <laughs> but we we were on opposite teams. So <laughs> yeah, it was Bat's calling card. He, he used to do it to everybody that were new. You know, but um, no, it's like I might. I'm very, very close with Colin. Well, I used to be close with Colin West at Wednesdays when I was there with him, but we've kept in touch via LinkedIn over the last two, three, four years. And, and I know he worked, Westy worked with you at uh, Northampton. Yeah, and, and Carlisle. And Carlisle, sorry, yeah. And But at Northampton recently, I've spoke to him a lot on, on LinkedIn. We've had some good chats about how you work and your methodology. And and, and he said he's, you know, he, he wouldn't want to work with anybody better because of the, the, the graph that you do. And that kind of inspires me, you know, although I'll be in South Africa to, to, to have that mentality, you know, like yourself, how have you found, how do you find it now compared to, you know, when you worked, when, when you work with um, all the, the other managers, there's a player, when you see now as a manager yourself, what's the, what's the difference between a player's perspective to the managers now? Because when I was at Leeds United, I was shit scared of Howard Wilkinson and, and Mick Hennigan um, and Mark McGee and Colin Lee, you know, but now it doesn't seem that there's that, for me, there's that, too, you know, you, you're too nice. Yeah, well, I think that the, the art, now, the, the, it seems like the art nowadays, uh, it, if, you, if, you, if you weren't doing what the manager wanted you to do or you weren't being productive for the team, the manager would tell you in no uncertain terms, he would tell you so you knew. But uh, the art of it nowadays is being able to tell players that, that when they're doing something that you don't like them to do it, you have to tell them. Mm. You have to tell them in a way that you don't embarrass them, you, you don't single them out, you don't bully or intimidate them. So you've got to be able to tell them. The easy way I do it is so the best thing you can ever say to a player is well done, because when you mm. when you say well done to a player, it means they're doing something that's going to improve them, improve the team, and it's a benefit to the team. But then, but then likewise, then you have to be able to say to a player, when you're doing something that I don't like, that's not productive for you or the team, I'm going to tell you, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's like, <laughs> no, like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, here in South Africa, you cannot shout at a black person. No. They do not, they do not know, they don't know how to deal with it. You know, yeah. there's very few white players in, in this league. It's mostly black and cape coloured um, that, um, that are in, in the, and the, they're a different mentality, the cape coloured to the black players. Uh, there is, there's a, still a different mentality. And, you know, I, I often, I have to try and not be negative, even though it drives me up the wall when yeah. they make a mistake and you want to, uh, you want to, you know, really tell them yeah. exactly what you think, but you can't. It's like, you know, you're, like, you're walking on broken glass thinking, well, if I shouted, I'm going to get cut here and I'm going to lose that player. Yeah. And I'm going to lose that player. Well, well out, out of, um, again, uh, I, I find it funny. Some people might not find it, uh, find it funny. I'll tell you a story. So, you know, uh, Neil Warnock's 
uh, assistant manager uh, before I went there was Kevin Blackwell. Yeah, so so we got yep. the job. Yeah, so we had the job at, uh, at Crystal Palace. So uh, two two games into it. Uh, so Neil's Neil's on the side of the pitch. I'm sat down watching it. I'm sat down with the subs. And the next thing, so something's happening during the game uh, where Neil, Neil Neil wants to make a decision and he wants to run around. So he's turned. So he hasn't turned around and looked at me, but he's he's turned over his shoulder. He's shouting, "Blackie, Blackie, Blackie, get here!" So I've got up, and so then one of the lads who was sub, who was a black player, grabbed hold of me. And goes, "You can't, you can't get up to that." And I'm like, so I had to explain. Well, no, it's because his previous assistant manager was called Kevin Blackwell. Used to call him Blackie. Mm-hmm. Not being personal to me. Yeah, <laughs> Keith, I just wonder because obviously in Dylan's time at, at Reading, you, Mark McGee left. Uh, he went to Leicester midway through that that season when Reading finished second in what is now the Championship, but didn't go up automatically. Lost out in the playoffs. Um, so Jimmy Quinn and Mick Gooding were player managers. And you, that was your first management role, wasn't it? A Mansfield player, player manager. Did, yeah. And you don't, you just don't see it anymore, do you? I mean, how, how difficult is, is that, that role? And, and obviously, you know, for you at Mansfield, but relating that to what it might have been like for Jimmy Quinn and Mick Gooding that season at Reading. Uh, I think uh, to a degree frustrating, um, but then uh, again, I was, uh, my first job there was at, uh, was at, uh, at Mansfield. And I think, um, I went in. It was part of my selling point to, to the to, to the chairman because I said, Look, "You're going to get a, you're going to get a coach, a manager, and a player for one salary." So, so automatically, when you say that to a, a League One <laughs> a League One football club, uh, their ears prick, uh, prick up straight away. Um, yeah. So, so again, but that um, I played the first I played the first year because I because uh, I needed to uh, I needed to set a standard uh, for the players um, but then I got more and more frustrated because I'm playing a game and I'm coaching which I enjoyed but then it becomes then to the detriment as well because then you automatically you go into player mode and you start speaking to players as a player but then you start thinking players were reacting differently because I wouldn't uh, if I'm saying something they're taking it as not me the player me the manager and, and when I played I was very vocal and again, you just talked. You just talked on two uh, two people there, uh, Mark Mark McGee and Colin, Colin Lee. Colin Lee uh, was my manager at uh, at Wolves uh, uh, under Mark McGee. First of all, then Mark went on the Leicester, and, and then Colin Lee stayed. So Colin Lee was manager. And then when I went to Knox County, uh, I brought Colin Lee in uh, as a joint assistant manager with Colin West. Uh, used to love Colin Lee's coaching. Uh, mm. Great sessions. Uh, I think he was a better coach and a better number two than he was manager because I think the the, the I think it, it distracted him away from what his uh, his forte was, which was on the training ground. Good, great ideas, great delivery, and a good understanding uh, of the game. I'll ag- I'll agree there. I'll agree there, Colin. Without Colin Lee, I mean, Mark McGee was probably. Well, it was the last pick in the five sides on the Friday, but it was it was Colin Lee that you know worked on everything. Yeah. You know uh, the gaffer. You know he he, he was the, he pointed the fingers, but you, again you 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 were scared of Colin Lee. Colin Lee would he would absolutely bat you yeah. if you didn't if you didn't do the right thing. And like I say, you know, I, I got asked a question at the SFA one. No, the question was put to hundred coaches doing their A license. 
and I was just an observer, was, you know, managers now, um, do you want um, an, author- an authoritarian or um, somebody that you can talk to or somebody that, a manager that puts his arm around you and lets the players decide? And I would think 99 of them put their hand up and said they like the manager that put their arm around them and give them a, you know, and and I and I I was there as an observer, Keith, and I just put my hand up. I said, "I'm sorry." I said, "But I've won, you know, promotions at Blackpool with um, Billy Ayres, uh, two championship with Leeds United. I had Wilkinson, Mark McGee, and uh, Bobby Williamson at uh, Kilmarnock. I've won all these trophies, and they were very authoritative. They what they said went, and they, they, I got shot down. I got I actually got shot down." And I said, well, how can that be a bad thing when I've got, I've won all these titles, I've won all these promotions? Yeah. You know, surely, you know, the, I know it's changed now, but surely, uh, but no, I got, I got absolutely lambasted for it. I thought, well, it's just my opinion. <laughs> Again, I, I think there's some of the, some of the old school values. Um, I still, I, I still take into work with me now. Yeah, so, but it's, and a lot of it now is about delivery and being able to communicate. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, excellent. But then, if a player is not doing what you need him to do, you've still got to be able to tell him that's not going to improve you or improve the team. So don't do it again, please. And then, yeah. uh, and again, I think a lot of it is the the under twenty threes. Uh, in theory, uh, I understand it. Uh, is it delivering uh, and producing better young players? Um, statistically, there's more players being signed on at the age of 18 to 21, 22, 23. But then what you find is now there's a lot of players now at the age of 23 are being released. And at the 23, 23 level being released then is one of those starting again, they've missed the boat. Then you ask a 23 who's been in and around championship league one levels and everything like that. Then they, then they have to go down to non-league. It's a bigger, a bigger step. And you find a lot of them now won't come again. You get a lot of players, if they get released at 18, they come again. Players yeah, 22, 23, they get released. They don't, they don't seem to come again. Yeah. Yeah. The old reserve teams, guys, when you played, sorry, Keith, when you, you know, when you had reserve teams like you know, players come back from injury, was that a better uh, thing for younger players? Because you're playing against experienced pros like yourselves when you were playing. Do you know what I mean? Compared to these under 23 level. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think about when I first started playing, we used to have the A League as well. You have the A League, a reserve team, uh, and the first team. Uh, but that was back in the days when you only had one sub as well. <laughs> God knows that. God knows our games used to finish then. <laughs> Keith, we we got a few minutes left. Can I just ask you, um, looking back on your time at Reading to to finish with, um, what would you say is your best memory or best memories from from that time? And also, you know, perhaps the the worst memories or things that, that didn't go so well, obviously, you know, relegation and then not great the previous, the, the following season, but Reading won a trophy. What what are your kind of best and worst memories of your time at Reading? Um, well, things, things that definitely stick out, uh, obviously winning the Simod Cup. Um, it was my first move as in uh, away from the southwest. As in, I've been Bristol Rovers, Bristol City, and Torquay. So it was my first move away, being bought for money that, in my opinion at the time, uh, I didn't see the value in it. How is somebody paying over a hundred thousand pounds for me when you know, I still saw myself as a five, ten thousand pound uh, a week player 
Uh, I played a couple of seasons as a centre back, uh, and then and then for somebody to to, to pay proper money for me. Um, so now again, uh, then so then in this case of moving house, uh, I had a young family at the time as well. Uh, moving moving them away, we, uh, we moved to to Thatcham. Uh, great team spirit with uh, Colin Gordon, Lyndon uh, Jones, all lived locally. Um, there was there were some very good characters in that changing room. Uh, I think probably having the experience of playing alongside Billy Whitehurst. Was uh, <laughs> was hell of a you know, Billy White or Steve Moran up front, uh, excellent for the level. Great characters, great in the changing room. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I played against Billy White to us after after Reading, and no matter what happened, he's the hardest person to play against. I got on well with Billy. I like Billy, and Billy even said that he liked me after he just elbowed me in the face. <laughs> said sorry, again. I had to do it. No. Um, so so what? So what about kind of the worst, the worst time at, at Reading for you? What what do you think that was? Uh, I think it was, it's got to be the relegation. Uh, as, as a player, with the players that we had in that changing room, um, being relegated, it was softened in a in a way because I knew um, that the, the football club were going to sell me uh, for. A large profit after eight months. I think you know, they bought me for something. Like, I don't. Know, I think it was 125 or 150 grand. And in in, the, in eight months that I was there, um, yeah, they sold me for half a million quid. So great business for them. And it was a, st- uh, a platform and a stepping stone. The other thing is, if I hadn't gone to Reading and gone up a level uh, in playing, would Wimbledon have shown the interest? And would Wimbledon have bought me? Uh, from a lower league so uh, and, and Ian Bradford knew that as well he said you know, this can be a stepping stone for you which was part of his pitch uh, when he signed me yeah alright we'll and, keep and, and beating Michael Jokes in races yeah <laughs> of course yeah. well look Keith thanks thanks ever so much for joining us fantastic to uh, to have you on and you were you know I'm not just saying this because you're on but you were one of my favourite players throughout my time following Reading so you know, great personally for me as well to to have one of my favourite players on. So thanks for joining us and, uh, you know, wish, wish you well in, in the future with whatever you do next as well. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you guys. Stay safe. Keith, thanks, pleasure Keith. to meet you So listen, we, we have another episode tomorrow when we'll be talking to former Reading striker Lloyd Awusu. That's available from 6.30pm tomorrow. So thank you to Keith to Johnny and to Dylan and thanks for listening and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 1871podcast thank you take care and good night cheers guys sports social podcast network